Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with each other. Uh, And Aaron, you're up this week. Mm -hmm. What have you brought to the table today? Well, as promised, (laughs) because I talked about it last week. um, It's good to be a man of your word. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Integrity. Yes. Uh, I'm bringing a digital resource binder from Interrupting Criminalization, Project NIA, and Critical Resistance. Uh, This resource binder, uh, as they call it, is called, So Is This Actually an Abolitionist Proposal or Strategy? Uh, it's a collection of resources from a variety of sources uh, across the scope of the movement towards abolition of the prison industrial complex. Right. Uh, and there are some amazing guiding questions that offer a theory toward abolition. Uh, I think some more direct questions that provide guidance for direct action and organizing the more like, tactical things. Yep. Uh, and we talked about splitting this one up last week. So I think today we'll talk about uh, the first I think four sections. Yes. Uh, So basic principles, policing and crisis response, detentions and imprisonment, and courts and prosecution. Yes. Uh, So that'll leave evaluating candidates, public health, schools, and reproductive justice for our next episode, um, which obviously sounds like a lot, which is why we split it into two. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because I think a lot of these sections... um, in, in this binder could be individual episodes. Oh, absolutely. Because there, there's so much in <laughs> there's them. There's so much. Um, I, I think there are, there are some resources that are, you know, a little longer. Yep. Um, but then there's some that's just two pages. And right. I think we could spend an entire episode on, like, those two pages. Absolutely. Um, especially, um, you know, I'm thinking about it. We're, we'll talk about it in the next episode. But, like, the stuff is about schools. Yep. Um, there's some, there's a couple pages where I'm like, yeah, that could be, this could be a whole episode breaking down all these pieces and stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a lot in it. Um, but yeah, so what, where, what do you want to talk about first? Where do you want to start? Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I think we could, this could be, what is it? Eight chapters, sections of this. This could be eight episodes. I yeah, mean, it's just, true. there's so much here. It's so great. Such an incredible resource. Um, I think it's amazing really to think about all of the work that these organizations did to compile this resource to compile all of these abolitionist resources together into one place. Yeah. Um, I think it has the capacity to be really helpful and useful as we continue to have these conversations and do this work. Um, but, uh, and certainly for, for others as well. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this. And, um, I think my overall reaction to it is just how I was struck by how really well thought out and organized it was right like i like how they section the resources and they sequence the information because i think it really um the setup of it allows us and and folks who engage with it to to truly build our learning about Mm -hmm. abolitionist strategies and resources as you go section by section um which is i think really great um and um i think in in addition to sort of us and individuals like there's a lot in here that's helpful for organizations as well right um and so and especially for um organizers and organizations that 
want to learn more about what it takes to think and act strategically around what it takes to be abolitionist and to do abolitionist organizing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think whether or not you're new to this work or in the beginning stages of or or need to pivot your efforts around this work, um, this is a really just, I think, robust and um, incredible resource um, for folks. So that was really one of my my, my biggest takeaway as I sort of sat with it. And it took a few days to get through um, uh, overall sort of reactions to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's uh, so much. And you talked about sequencing. There is even really good um, sort of building of resources within sections. Yes. Right. Like the the one about uh, prisons and detention. Yep. Um, I was like, OK, well, this is talking about prisons. And then the next one, they're talking about um, immigration detention centers. Yes. And ICE. And so it's like, oh, look at how we took prisons and then applied the concept of prisons to uh, immigration yep. and, and then how do we navigate unpacking those things Absolutely. sort of together and seeing them interconnected. Yes. And I, th- I thought like that, as you talked about the sequence of it, like that stuck out in my yes. mind is like, Oh, this, this complicates what we just talked about. This creates a bigger, more holistic picture of that. Absolutely. I felt yeah. that too. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's just so much work, um, for people, um, and there's there's so many resources that they name, so many people that they name, organizations that they name to follow. Um, it's this like great collection of, I think, a theory yes. of abolition or or philosophy. Um, so yeah, so let's get into some of this. Yeah, um, let's do it. I think uh, the first thing off the bat are some of these great guiding questions, um, which you uh, you mentioned a little bit. Yeah. Um, but they guide almost everything else in the resource as yes. like kind of foundational pieces. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to read through these. I love it. Uh, here now. Um, does it as a whole or in part legitimize or expand the carceral system we're trying to dismantle? Mm-hmm. Does it benefit parts of the prison industrial complex, industries that profit from the prison industrial complex, or elected officials who sustain the prison industrial complex? Do the effects of it create already, sorry, do the effects it creates already exist in a way we have to organize against? Will we or others be organizing to undo its effects in five years? Such a great question. Right. Um, Does it preserve existing power relations? Who makes the decisions about how it will be implemented and enforced? Does it create a division between deserving, quote, and undeserving, quote, people? Does it leave out especially marginalized groups, people with criminal records, undocumented people, et cetera? Does it cherry pick particular people or groups as token public faces? And the last question, does it undermine efforts to organize and mobilize the most affected for ongoing struggle? Or does it help us build power? Yes. And I think all of these questions are so great. Um, because they get to the core of what abolitionists are, are doing um, and working toward, right? moving toward. Um, and all of them are questions you ask of, you know, possible policies or new procedures or, or whatever, um, you know, from replacing uh, an aging jail with a new facility. Yeah. Uh, right. Like if you if you think about that and then follow through those questions, you get to the point of like, oh, well, that's not abolitionist absolutely Um, you know and so i think it's really great because it it is it's asking those questions are we building something new 
or are we tweaking the things that already exist around the edges and not getting to the core of the issue? Yes. Um, are we pulling things out by the proverbial root um, or not? Absolutely. Yeah, I love these questions. And I think, you know, they really sort of are at the center and the core of everything that you know, we do and everything that sort of, again, as this resource builds upon itself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like at every, at every turn, you know, um, they reference these questions. It may not be these questions specifically in this way, but at every step, right, as they're questioning, um, is this abolitionist or not, right? Like these mm -hmm. questions are at the core, right? And I think they're super comprehensive. I mean, it, we both like made a statement when you read the question about will we or others be organizing to undo its effect in five years, right? Like, yep. so trying to have some some in the moment thinking, reflecting on the past, but also thinking about the future as well, right? And so um, I think they're super comprehensive questions. Um, and I love that they're putting this out at the beginning of this uh, resource, right? For folks to consider these questions. And so I, 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 I like these questions. I also think there were some, uh, the resource included some additional questions as well that sort yeah. of, um, you know, work in tandem with these questions that I appreciated. And, and in, in all of these questions and some of those other ones, I, I very much so appreciated the naming of these sort of guiding principles um, and, and the fact that they're all based in disability justice and this notion of like community care and self-defense as well, mm -hmm. right? And so um, that's really important. Um, uh, and so I, I love that. But there are a couple of things uh, as I was sort of processing this first section. I keep wanting to call them chapters, but there's <laughs> there's sections yeah. um, that I, that I wanted to, to highlight and mention. For one, they highlight work from both Dean Spade and their discussion from, uh, from Pitfalls of Reforms Outlined. Um, and Peter Geldeluz and his book, uh, The Failure of Nonviolence, How Nonviolence Protects the State. And they share how one of the big questions to consider about reforms is, is it liberatory? Mm -hmm. Like, does a reform help us actually achieve this notion of collective liberation that we talk about here, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are three questions that they ask that I want to share. The first is, does it see space in which new social relations can be enacted? And does it spread awareness of its ideas? Two, does it have elite support? And third, does it achieve and any concrete gains to improve lives, yeah. right? And so I really appreciate sort of those questions being sort of a, uh, another way to think about this and sort of be a further interrogation of, of reforms, right? And, yeah. Or as you talk about like policy, like as we're making policies and whatnot. Um, and I, I think I, I especially appreciated that question about elite support um, because it go on, it goes on to say something to the effect of if a reform does have elite support, it's probably not liberatory, yep. right? Uh, and so, and and this might be a bit of spoiler alert for homework, but one of the things I want to do is to read both Dean Spades and Peter Gelderlouz's work um, because that was a bit of a tension moment for me, if mm -hmm. I'm being honest, right? Yep. Like. I get the notion of why elite support is not good and not what we want, but I think I want to just do some more learning about what that means in practice, yeah. you know, if they have some some thoughts around that uh, and just sort of learn more about what they what they mean by that. Like I, I intellectually, I can sort of get it and I could probably take some guesses and I can and I could parse it out. But, um, you know, I, I, just, I think about um, like at some point with some things like policy and and. In, in, for as an example, or laws, right? Like, 
if we want those laws, if we want new laws passed, we do in some way, shape, or form have to have elite support, right? Because mm-hmm. the elite is who's in power and who can help pass the laws, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that <laughs> they're the ones at the forefront of making that happen, uh, yeah. right? So there's lots of nuance there that sort of just when I sort of initially read it, I was like, wait, uh, uh, there's some tension there for me. But mm-hmm. um, again, I just loved sort of those additional questions being sort of a further way to interrogate this uh, reform or a policy or whatever work you're trying to do. So there's so much here. Yeah. I think that that question about elite support is a good one because I think it, um, you know, and maybe this is obvious to me or, you know, obvious in general, what I'm about to say, but I think it, the, the elite is different depending on your reform. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, the, I, the the next thing I wanted to talk about was the the civilian review boards. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So in section two, which yeah. is about policing and crisis response, um, I want to home in on the on that section about civilian review boards um, and this part of the the binder that dives into why CRBs um, aren't abolitionist. Yeah. Um, because in the the first time I saw the critical resistance chart, which we've talked about here. Yeah. Um, about um, whether. Um, reforms to the the policing uh is abolitionist or just reformist um one of the things that they listed uh as not being abolitionist are civilian review boards absolutely um which you know it took me a moment to adjust my sort of thinking around that Mm. um and 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 think about why that wasn't abolitionist um and this particular resource really dives into that and really unpacks a lot of that and so i get it um but I think that's tied to the question about there elite support, uh, because I think there are um, the the ways that those things happen um, eventually become supported by elites because they get manipulated yes. along the way of them getting passed. Yes. Right. So eventually they become something that like a police union, fraternal order of police or somebody could accept because they don't actually have any teeth. Absolutely. Um, or the way that the people who are recruited onto, like the process of getting people onto it um, is done through, yes, right, the police department or through um, city hall in a way that um, they, they know they're going to get people on that board who are supportive, supportive of the police. Of their efforts. That's um, what I was going to say there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, That's a great connection to the elite support thing. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, wh- one of the things this resource does that I already alluded to a little bit, it points out that frequently these boards don't have any real power. Right. Um, and then eventually they get used as, as basically like PR points yep. um, to say that there is an accountability process in place. Um, yeah, but here that, it is. Look at it. Right. Like yeah. we have a, we have we a civilian it. review board. Yeah. Um, and they use, I think, New York City as an example in their in the um, in the text, some in the text somewhere as having have having had a crb for years now but that not being able to do much um so yeah i think uh some specific things were outlined as problems of crbs um were one uh, simply being local civilians does not ensure that residents will not also be biased in favor of police sure which makes sense when you consider how much we have all collectively sort of internalized that Policing is this benevolent entity, um, and they're doing dangerous work that justifies, quote, split-second mistakes. Mm. Um, right? Uh, yeah, and so we, we see that, that 
police get the benefit of the doubt in juries, uh, in court cases, and things like that, right? Or on these boards in some yeah. cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other one I want to point out that they uh, mention is that even when boards are held to hold individual cops accountable to the policies governing their practices, the policies themselves often support unacceptable, unacceptable levels of force and coercion, especially in cases deemed, quote, security threats. Yeah. Um, so the levels of force that are considered acceptable and maybe, you know, pass through a CRB without without blinking, if we unpacked it a little bit, we would say that's maybe not acceptable use of force. Right. For from like a sort of more liberatory standpoint of um, of of addressing actual community harms, um, and then that is you know potentially in fact creating unnecessary harm that is deemed acceptable, right? And thus expanding the power of policing um, and the police in your community because the CRB said it's fine. Absolutely. So that's Ah. like all of that, unpacking all of that, I really appreciated them demonstrating that and and getting into some of the the details um, of of what that that means. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much in section two that's so powerful right and i had no doubt that they were going to include that this incredible chart uh but for them to sort of um dive into some of that analysis and apply it to things like the the these review boards um was really helpful mm-hmm. um right and i think so much of what section two does is name the fact that the prison industrial complex and and policing in particular um in this instance like it's so harmful and destructive um, yeah Right. And that police and policing is not serving our communities in ways that are healthy or safe or Mm -hmm. just. Right. Um, And so their argument and their view, which we agree with here, is that we have to abolish that as we know it um, and and try to create new systems and structures that do serve us in the ways that we need and we deserve. And so I think this is uh, this section is a prime example of what you named at the top of this episode that I mean, we could spend an entire episode talking about what's in section two alone. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, you bringing in the the CRB. One of the things that stood out to me in that section was their inclusion of this guide to alternative mental health crisis responses. Yeah. Um, because it, there was this really great checklist and sort of step by step guide to help organizations think about how to best help folks experiencing mental health crises and challenges um, that don't involve the police or other related systems of harm. And I just thought it was really well done um, and super thorough and it just made me think about how it could be a really good model or template for what it would take to sort of think about alternatives to other things that the police respond to right like and you talk about sort of over the years are internalized sort of thinking about police as being these benevolent you know actors and um, the ways in which the police are called to respond to lots Mm -hmm. of different things right and so what are the ways that we could apply that thinking around how we respond to folks experiencing mental health challenges that don't involve the police. How can we apply that to other things that we, we, we as a society have called um, and relied upon the police for? So I, yeah. there's just so much in this that I, uh, in this section in particular that I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think we would probably spend a, a full episode at least on just section two. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say we might come back to this. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're talking about it. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to section 4 okay. um because they talk about bail reforms mm-hmm. um and uh there you know bail reform is something that I think um I've become a little bit more um aware of um recently yep. with people being like sort of people creating bail funds yes. um to bail people out especially in the in the wake of um protests and demonstrations um and some of our conversations here about like the laws in Florida that are being passed around um, controlling uh, what protesters can and can't do and, right. and stuff like that. Um, so I think, you know, the, the thing I want to talk about is called a spectrum from reformist reforms to abolitionist reforms okay. um, about bail. Uh, so this spectrum moves from uh, increasing preventative detention powers uh so these would likely focus on a small group of people um and inc- but it would increase the kind of pre-trial detention that those people could face okay so it might be something where they're like only violent offenders but then they stipulate what violent offenders mean and then that slowly creeps yep um and, and increases um mm. so that's right increase increasing the power of the criminal punishment system yes and that's on the reformist reform side um and then on the opposite end is guaranteeing pre-trial freedom for everyone which would mean that people are free of being detained prior to trial they're not supervised or surveilled during that time uh pre-trial and so that would really emphasize i think for me the concept of innocent until proven guilty oh yeah that thing that we ex- that exists allegedly allegedly yeah. yeah right um so uh, i really you know, reading this, I was also like, oh, yeah, like making that I made that connection in my head. I was like, well, that this sounds like what innocent until proven guilty should probably look like. Yes. Um, the other items on this spectrum um, are moving. Uh, I'm going to read them out um, from moving from abolitionist um, toward reformist. So uh, on the abolitionist end, include uh, increasing unconditional releases, uh, decreasing pretrial detention. Ending money bail, creating unsecured or partially secured money bail options, creating conditional release, or expanding supervision. Mm. Right. So you can see that as it goes, it, it moves further away from like people being free pre-trial to people being supervised more um, or expanding supervision. So I really liked that in sort of setting a context for what bail reform looks like, because I think that's a piece of this puzzle. Um, that isn't something I've thought a lot about, so I appreciated the kind of spectrum and, and um, the 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 resource here. Absolutely, I did too, and I think I'm with you in terms of this idea of how much learning there is to do from Section Four, and yeah. even you know I don't want to skip over Section Three too. I feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot of work that I can personally do to learn more um, from what they talk about in both Section Three and Four. Um, yeah. And so to jump back to Section Three first, because I have some thoughts on Section Four as well. Um, so Section Three, as you uh, as you said at the top, it was all about sort of the prison industrial complex and prisons and detention. Yeah. Um, there's a lot in there about immigration detention, right? And so there's this great chart um, in this section about abolitionist steps versus reforms around immigration and ICE um, and the rights of immigrants um, that was really illuminating for me. Um, And and certainly there was information about what reforms 
have already been tried, but ultimately just expand the scope and power of the prison industrial complex over immigrants, things like case management and custody models and electronic monitoring, right? Just to name a few. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like immigration is one of those sort of areas that I've just, as I've gotten older and more and more has happened in our society, right? Um, is, is, is just an area that I'm continuing to need to and want to learn more about. So there's just a lot that I think, um, I can, I can do in section three, more I can learn about from section three. Um, and then you talk about section four, all about our courts and, and our legal system. And one of the things that um, sort of blew my mind, and I, I, don't, I don't know why it did, uh, but there was so much in there about court watching programs. Yeah. And I, and they've existed for decades, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, no clue, no idea. I, I did not know about court watching programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but these programs apparently have been really powerful, um, and helpful in organizing campaigns for, um, abolitionist strategies and efforts to dismantle the actual criminal punishment system. Right. And so, um, I like that this resource, it, it, a is sort of a primer around what court watching programs are, um, but also includes examples of court watching programs that exist around the country, right. Mm-hmm. As examples of how to do this work and, and, and questions, I think the, one of the most important parts of it was there are questions to consider when you're trying to implement a court watching program to be most effective and to keep folks safe when doing it, right? Because yeah. in some instances, some people maybe shouldn't be the ones inside the court, right? Or, or just in general, be think, thinking about your rights um, as it relates to sort of um, engaging in a program like this. And so I think there's just... Section three and four, there was so much in there that I was like, I, I, I need to come back and really sit with some of this because there's some learning, more learning I want to do. Um, but again, speaks to how helpful this resource is for folks engaged in this work and organizations doing this kind of work and right and yeah. trying to create better policies and, and uh, abolish these systems. Yeah, I think uh, that that section, um, section three, I know I, I kind of skipped over it. Um, but uh, I think that section in particular was a, a deep dive yeah. into things that I kind of knew existed. Like I knew court watching was a, court watching was a thing, but I didn't really think about like how people do it or right. like what it meant. And so it was cool to see a lot of a lot more detail around how that happens, who participates, things that think about around whether or not you should participate in those kinds of things. Yes. Um, so they that was a really great section um, that I. Um, yeah, just appreciated a lot of. All right, let's talk about application uh, and shift to that. Um, so, how does this binder apply to our everyday lives? Um, it's it's a lot. Uh, I think <laughs> yes. there's there's so much in this that is directly and practically tied to the systems we all navigate to varying degrees. Right. Um, you know, especially as more people are considering how we interact with the police, what functions the police should and shouldn't serve. Yeah. And people are thinking more critically about courts. They're thinking more critically about bail. Um, those things are happening, I think, more. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about were the community self-defense principles, um, which is a really great resource yes. in itself. I yes. think that that two page three pages could also be its Just own episode i think yes i would love um, that i would love that and so that um that that resource i think really does a lot to of work to recognize all the ways that systems of oppression intersect and how communities can work together to change that in their own corner of the world mm. um to think about self-defense and yep. to think about um 
how communities come together, how you protect one another, both against like sort of physical violence. And there's a lot about mediation and, and um, things like that and how you navigate conflict. Um, but then there's also this piece around recognizing um, injury to one as an injury to all yes. and um, being in favor of black liberation and recognizing that that is connected to everything else, everybody everything. else's liberation. Yes. And then it was also talking about um, gender justice and reproductive. All of these pieces were all tied together um, as you read through that. And so I, I really appreciated that section too. And I think that's a direct application because it's thinking Literally. about how do you come together with the people that you know, the people in your community, yep. whether they're your neighbors or not, yep. um, to be there for one another in some way. Um, this was a very particular application of that. And I'm, I know I'm speaking more generally and broadly, but um, that it, feel, it felt very connected. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'd love for us to spend some time with that resource in particular. And you're right, it was two and a half pages. Yeah. Um, but it is absolutely worthy of an episode and worthy of just a conversation around how it applies um, to our everyday lives, but also sort of what, you know, what we would take away from that and how we could use it. Um, so I appreciate that. I think all of this resource is the application. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's yeah. so much in it that is just and so much of it that is this tangible uh and useful guide uh full of information and questions and steps and work that can get us closer to to collective liberation and so i think for me the application for all of us is really um tied to the work necessary to consume this binder mm. if that makes sense right yeah. like I, i've really tried like there were many ways and i think i've been honest about this today there's so there was so much in it that i had to sit with, and I want to sit with more um, to learn more about. There was so much of it that was new to me, uh, or in some, or so much of it that, and some of it that you know, I I only like scratch the surface know about mm -hmm. um, in terms of you know abolitionist things that have happened, and so. Uh, but I think that's the point of this document in some way, shape, or yeah. form, right? Mm -hmm. And so. Um, how can we use this resource and everything in it and apply it to the conversations that we're having with our comrades, with our neighbors, with our community um, and to the and tie it to the work that we're doing and the campaigns and the organizations that we're supporting uh, with yep. our money, with our time, with our organizing um, and and the work that we're doing. So I think it's just uh, and I, I'm so excited to, to keep the conversation going. Um, there's so much in this um in this guide that is going to be so helpful to us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Well, I think, uh, let's, let's shift again, talk about homework. Okay. Um, what are we going to do to continue learning? Um, the obvious thing here, uh, is to continue reading. Yes. Um, since we, we got to do the, the next four sections I guess, uh, and talk sure about do. it on the next episode. Yeah. Uh, but some of the specific things I want to spend a little bit more time with at some point is, uh, in particular, there's a resource called guiding principles based in disability justice, Yes, uh, which was created, uh, by the abolition and disability justice coalition. Uh, and they also reference sins invalid. Yes. Um, and so learning more about these two groups and their work, uh, and spending a little bit more time with these, uh, principles about disability justice, I think would be, um, great continued learning for me in terms of this homework piece. Absolutely. I went to, I, I clicked on sins invalids website and they're just, mm -hmm. they're this in incredible disability justice performance organization. And, you yep. know, uh, some of the, I watched some of their videos and looked at some of their work and it's 
incredible. So yeah. I'd love to spend yeah. more time with that, uh, that organization and some of their work. Um, so that would be great. I, I mentioned earlier, there are some, there were some things in this resource, uh, that I want to spend more time with Dean Spade, Peter Gelderloos, uh, their work. I think I want to add their thinking in their books, um, and, and what they've put out into the world. Um, add that to our list of further learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I'm super excited to, uh, just continue <laughs> reading and working through this incredible resource. Great. Yeah. Sounds like some good homework. Yeah. Um, so we'll do this again in the next week. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, with the next sections. All right. Great. Um, so yeah, well, spoiler alert, you're up next time. What, what are you bringing to the table in the next episode? You know, I uh, I think I'm going to bring a movie. No, <laughs> I'm going to bring the rest of this incredible resource to the table for us. So we're going to continue this conversation and talk about the remaining sections of the, of the binder. Um, you mentioned them earlier, but let me name them again. So section five is called Evaluating Candidates. Section six is called Public Health. Section seven is schools and section eight is titled reproductive justice. Um, And so I'm sure we will make some connections between what's in these later sections, what we talked about here today, um, but also we'll we'll try to do our best to give justice to these four sections as Mm -hmm. their own uh, entities. And there's so much in them as well. Um, And of course, talk about where we go from from here once we've had a chance to consume this whole thing. So I'm. I, I cannot wait to talk about the rest of this amazing resource with you next week. Yes. All right. Um, well, with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our, co- our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on social media, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week.